my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission, to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In this episode, how would you handle a long-term power outage at your home? Something that's really been on my mind, I'll tell you why in a second. And lots of us are thinking about what to do about power outages as we're having an increasing rate of severe storms around the United States and around the world. And Amazon has decided to uh, bring some storm action to your wallet. They want 20 extra bucks a year. It's not optional. They want 20 extra bucks a year for Prime. Should you be doing it? Should you have it? Just inertia. Should you be paying for Amazon Prime? I'm going to tell you what I think is the right strategy right now. So I think I've mentioned prior that we took our annual staff trip to Puerto Rico this year. And as I talked to Puerto Ricans, I asked every single person how long they were without power following Hurricane Maria. And the longest I heard from someone was 14 months. I just want you to imagine having no power at your home for 14 months. I mean, my kids get upset when there's no power for 14 seconds. Oh, yeah. The internet goes down. and it's Internet like- goes down. Life has ended as we know it. And even you take a, a normal power outage after, let's say, a, a snowstorm or a tornado, hurricane. I mean, you could be talking weeks, uh, sometimes a month or so. I mean, what happened in Puerto Rico was a complete tragedy for people on the island. And I've been thinking about that ever since we got back. And I've been thinking about your questions to me, Krista, because you have been asking me, hey, you know, should we do solar at our house with battery backup? Should we do a generator? What do we do? And these are not easy questions to answer because they're they're not equivalent so if you put solar in at your house it's going to take you a good long while to make back the cost of that solar probably nine years at your house i Mm -hmm. think was what it turned out to be yes and that's a long time to get an effective payback and then on top of it you'd have to pay for battery packs for your garage it would provide the backup power if you're trying to do both of those things at once. You're trying to live off the sun as much as you can, which is something that I love doing, but you just got to know it's a very different kind of expense category than doing a generator to provide power at your house. Um, and then the combination of the solar and the batteries, it's a fantastic thing. And it, will eventually, probably within probably seven or eight years, maybe shorter, people will be able to degrid where uh, if you're, let's say you have a place in the mountains and with the rural electric cooperative, it's really expensive to run power to that cabin. You'll be able to put in solar, put in batteries and be 
off the grid. The batteries serve two purposes. One, they provide power when the sun's not shining, and they provide backup power for a reasonable period of time for you to be able to continue to operate when um, there's an outage. So forgetting the degridding, but you have a power outage, you're still able to operate with the batteries. In addition, power companies are paying in more and more places crummy rates for the excess power you generate when the sun's at its brightest. This way you store those kilowatts and you use them and you're your own power company. So this is a totally different kind of thing because the cost of doing solar with batteries at your house it went through the roof when you did the whole thing. Right. It was very, very expensive. So that's a whole different kind of commitment. The other thing, doing a generator, you have so many different options in terms of having a uh, generator that just provides basics to your home that may even run on fuel that you pour into it. And you'll see those at you know, at hardware stores and Lowe's and Home Depot, you'll see them at the warehouse clubs, to having the other extreme is a whole house generator. And I remember uh, when we did not have a whole house generator and we were running things after a power outage on one of those really noisy generators that ran on fuel, it obviously kept our groceries from spoiling and gave us some lights. And with LED lighting, You can even, with a um, portable generator, you can provide lighting through much of your house because LED lights pull so little power. But if you want to live as much as you can like normal, I've had a whole house generator, and I can tell you they really are a great thing because within seconds of the power going out, you have power to your home. To his, and you have to choose. It's almost like if you know the reference to Apollo 13, where they were having to figure out how many amps they could run, unless you just have more money than you know what to do with, you don't want to buy a generator that can run everything in your house. You want to be selective and be able to live in your house, and that reduces the size of a generator that's hooked up to natural gas or something like that that provides the backup power to your home. Uh, CNET did a wonderful guide on how to buy a generator. It's been a hard thing when people have asked me questions about it. And the CNET guide is really, really good. If you go to CNET.com, C-N-E-T.com, and you put in generator buying guide, you'll be able to see it, and it'll help you with the purchase expense. But truly, We are not talking equivalent things with the solar and the backup battery versus a generator because the cost levels are so different. Well, I have a question along these lines. This is from Michael in Florida. Dear Clark Helios, the sun god, I, in 2019, we installed solar in our home in Florida and love the $13 energy bills we've enjoyed for the last few years. However, our January bill was listed at over $40. My wife gasped and discovered that our Florida Monopoly Electric supplier has instituted a minimum fee of over $30 regardless of energy used. We have net metering and run our system on an annual positive, meaning we produce more energy than we use and pride ourselves on being energy efficient. 
Can you help us with what actions we solar customers can do to stop the energy companies from warping our payback for solar and setting our state backwards in time? Please the help. Sunshine the sunshine state. state. So, all right. I've talked about this in Florida for years and years. The monopoly power companies in Florida are so, excuse the pun, powerful, so powerful in Tallahassee at the state capitol that they their lobbyists write bills that the legislature just rubber stamps and sends through. The power operators in Florida, as monopoly power operators in most states, are terrified of the economics of you putting solar on your own roof. So what they're trying to do is push through laws that are sweetheart deals for them where they control the installation of solar. The monopoly power companies in the state of Florida are very busily putting in what are called utility-scale solar projects, massive acreages of solar panels where they make the money from the solar selling the power to you rather than you paying them less by having your own panels. And this is a wash, rinse, and repeat because this is happening state after state after state because the monopoly power companies can produce power cheaper from solar in many states than any other source of power. And they want it. They don't want you to have it. They want to have it because what they fear, too many people do what you did and they don't make the money selling the power. So, Michael, where you didn't have the power was in Tallahassee. And the legislature rubber stamping what the two big monopoly power companies wanted in the state of Florida. How could it be two? Because they have different territories. Doing what they wanted to do to hurt people who have spent their own money to put solar in is really scandalous. But that's what happened. And so... I'm sorry to tell you that what it would take, and citizens have the power to do this in Florida, is for a citizen um, ballot initiative that would change how this is happening in Florida. And again, it's not just Florida that this is going on in. This is from Spencer in the District of Columbia. I've recently been approved to make the biggest purchase of my entire life to move my family into a home in the Washington, D.C. suburbs. We are very excited for this next step. My total expected mortgage after 20% down is just over the $750,000 limit for mortgage interest deductibility, about $757,000. I understand the contribution of interest of that additional $7,000 would not be deductible interest for the first year or so that I would be above the limit. However, I'm concerned that prepaid interest that I'm paying in order to lower the interest rate in the form of discount points, may not be fully or at all deductible in the year paid, as they usually are because I am over that $750,000 limit. Would it be better for me to put more money down in order to be below the cap so I may fully deduct the prepaid interest discount points? So, all right, you are so close to the limit, I would not worry about this. Because And you're not going to be above $750,000 for a long time. And people may not even know that this problem exists with how much housing prices have risen along the coast in the high-cost markets. The tax code doesn't allow you to deduct the interest 
on a mortgage above 750. It used to be a million. It's funny. As housing prices went up, Congress reversed it and made it harder to fully deduct the interest if you're having to take out in a ultra high cost market like Washington D.C. You're having to take out a mortgage that is so sizable. So you're so close with the mortgage you're going to have, I wouldn't even fret it. It's not a big deal because even the value of the mortgage interest deduction is a lot less than you would think. Keep it simple. Go ahead and buy the home. Don't worry about that $7,000 over. It will make very, very, very little difference in your wallet. And you'll get to the point where you're going to be below that 750 in short order. Even over time, you could pay a little extra towards principal and you'll be below the 750. So I wouldn't do anything that is contorting your finances to try to do a mortgage exactly at 750. And I thought this was pretty fun. This is from Robert in Wisconsin. Clark, I've heard you say several times that you don't watch TV or video of any kind besides football. I know people somehow entertain themselves for thousands of years before TV, but these days it's hard to imagine a person not vegging out for at least a couple of hours on the weekend. What do you do in your free time besides exercise and roam the aisles of Costco? (laughs) I love to read. I read and I read and I read. And I also spend a lot of time with family. I find that watching television becomes almost like parallel playing where we're not even talking to our loved ones as we're watching. And when you're just hanging out with people, you talk. So I love to run my mouth, obviously. I love to read. I love to work out. And I do on the weekend, I know this is probably a disorder, but I love at least one weekend day to do a two-hour walk which is, I know, goofy. That's good for you. But I really, well, it really is good for my head. It's good for my mind. I assume it's good for my body. So I don't miss television as something in my life at all. What I miss is football because football is my life. And this year we are going to have spring football. So I'm a liar when I say that the TV goes off after the Super Bowl and doesn't come back on till I watch those early college games that come on typically in late August so I can get my football back. But this year, there's going to be a semi-pro league. I don't even know what it's called. It's going to play in the spring. And as I've always said, I'll even watch a bad football game. And who knows what the spring football is going to be like. But that will get me at least to sample turning on my TV. Yes, it's true. So coming up next, very highly, very well reported that Amazon is going up again on Prime. And you know, when they went from 99 to 119, it didn't even cause a ripple. Nobody really canceled their Prime membership. But at that time, there was no competition for Amazon Prime. Now there is. I want to talk about whether you should just Suck it up if you're a Prime member and pay the other 20 bucks when your renewal comes, or if you should really look at the alternatives. So Amazon Prime going up again, and they're not the only one. There's, uh, it's not even really a secret. Costco is going to raise their membership fees later this year. They're not saying, but it's kind of leaked out in the 
marketplace that Costco's going up. Don't know if they'll go from 60 to 70 for a base membership, how they'll treat the Costco premium membership, the executive membership, what they'll do with prices with that. And people have so shifted how they shop that Amazon, I'm sure, feels they can really uh, get acceptance in the marketplace of going from 119 a year to 139 and I believe they can. That There are people who are just in love with the convenience that you have from Amazon. You think about the ecosystem they built, that you just go online, you can very quickly shop for what you want, click, and if you're a Prime member, you can even have that quick checkout, and then a few days later, Typically, even if they say one or two days, a few days later, the item shows up. The Amazon driver is at Krista's house so much that they have a reserved parking space (laughs) for the Amazon delivery truck. Not true. How many packages a week would you say? Several. (laughs) We're not going to say 20 or 30. It's a lot. No, definitely not. But it's it's core to your shopping in your household. My husband loves Amazon. And okay, so just second about your husband, your husband is the ultimate convenience shopper. Mm -hmm. And before he was the number one shopper in America at CVS. We used to live near one. It It, was right up the street and the grocery store was further away. He worked long hours and he, if he needed, wanted something, he would go to CVS to buy like food, like cereal or anything. And so he'd be paying way above market prices, you know, that were available elsewhere. And so in your household, getting your husband on Amazon actually has saved you a lot of money versus going to CVS, which is one of the most expensive places in the free world to shop. But Amazon is not the bargain they used to be. They are a maturing company that is now trying to make profits. For so many years of Amazon's history, they were only interested in market share. And the marketplace was patient with them, allowing them to lose tons of money over the years, selling things below cost to establish mind space in your head and established presence across the country. And they have been incredibly successful at it. But now, they really are trying to make money. So the cost of goods on Amazon, except for a small number of items, they know that people are constant comparison shoppers. The profit margins are way up. The prices you pay way up. And I ask you to do what I've done. And that is, look at Walmart Plus. You can even join Walmart Plus for a short period of time, try it for a month or two, or you can pay an annual 98 bucks, And you will find that consistently, Walmart Plus is a lot cheaper than Amazon. The delivery is not the same. Walmart is very inconsistent how delivery works. There are items from Walmart that show up when I order from Walmart Plus that show up within hours of when I ordered, and I didn't ask for that. They actually hire couriers to deliver things if if their system says, hey, the best, most efficient place to deliver 
This one, the Walmart store, 3.6 miles from my home or one that's seven miles from my home. They may hire a courier to bring it there. I don't know how the math works for them, but you get the same price as you would in the store with the membership and the delivery is free. And so a lot of items come so fast, it's like would make your head spin. Almost like ordering something with a food delivery service and it comes in, well, two hours. When does food deliver? I've never done that. Uh, I've never ordered from like right. it depends. Uber Eats I or mean, anything like that. It depends that. on where you live, how close you are to everything. Okay. So anyway, I'm always my own hot food delivery person because I like my food hot. I'm not going to depend on a third party getting it there and it's cold. Anyway, but then other items you order from Walmart Plus, they'll tell you when you're buying them, two-day delivery, three-day delivery. Or if it doesn't say two-day delivery or three-day delivery, the delivery may still be free, but it'll come when it comes. It's not as consistent as Walmart is with, I'm sorry, as Amazon is typically with the two-day delivery from when they fulfill the order, which is typically two or three days with how it works with Amazon. So you don't have that with Walmart, but most of the merchandise is going to be much cheaper, not even a little bit cheaper, much cheaper, because Walmart's culture is to have a much lower markup on merchandise than you're going to find from Amazon. So I recommend that you, until your next renewal with Amazon, and you may find like in our household, we do both because we buy so much online. And with Walmart, you can have the low, you know, the free delivery of groceries and their groceries are typically going to be about 20, 25% cheaper than they are from the regional supermarkets they compete with around the country. They're not going to be as cheap as Aldi. I mean, who is? But compared to traditional supermarkets, they'll be a lot cheaper. And speaking of cheap, in the pandemic, people have dramatically changed where they're buying. The sales numbers, the increase in sales at Costco and at Sam's Club and at their smaller competitor, BJ's, the increases in the sales they're having, not the prices, I mean, but the total amount of goods they're selling, have gone through the roof because people have become much more price conscious, particularly with the inflation we're having. And so people are buying in bulk in really, really large numbers. I mean, I see these numbers that Costco's reporting, and you can only estimate the Sam's numbers because Sam's is owned by Walmart and they tend to be um, stingy with breaking out separate sales stats for Sam's Club. You really have to look for them. But both of them are selling far more goods than they used to pre the inflation cycle as people are finding that is where you're really going to save a huge amount of money. So I know money is not necessarily a priority with everyone but if saving reducing your costs of goods this is a case where following the crowds work that you go to the places and i was talking with my wife the other day when i pulled into the aldi parking lot and i shop at an aldi that really hadn't caught on and now 
I had to go hunt for a parking space. And you go inside and there's like a zillion people. I mean, people are responding to these costs that we're facing now in so many ways, changing their behavior. And it works. It will save you money. Krista? Okay, we've got a question from Jim in North Carolina. I recently switched car insurance carriers. When I called my insurer to inform them that my switch was taking place in another week, they told me there's an early termination fee and they are charging me $248. I think that's ridiculous. If they weren't so high, I would have stayed with them in the first place. And I was never advised when I signed up with them that there was an early termination fee. Is there anything I can do to not have to pay this? So Jim, I immediately want you to contact the North Carolina Department of Insurance and see because Insurance is regulated by the states, and I want you to see if in North Carolina, an auto or homeowner's insurer is allowed to charge an early termination fee. As a general rule, you want to switch your insurance for your home and your car at the time of your renewal with who you're with, because even if they weren't charging you this junk fee, and that is... That's obscene, a $248 junk fee. The way premium refunds are calculated is that the money is front-loaded by most insurers. So if you're in a policy period that's a six-month policy period, they don't charge you typically um, in equal sums over those six months. They tend in states they're permitted to front-load the collection of the premium early in that cycle. So if you quit... During that cycle, you get a relatively small amount of your money back. In this case, it's punitive, obviously. And the worst part about this from a business standpoint is that they're telling you, never come back to us. Never consider us again by kicking you hard in the rear end on the way out. But the question now, Jim, is, is this, in fact, a legal practice under the insurance laws of the state of North Carolina. And that's why you need to call the North Carolina Department of Insurance and find out. And I'd go ahead and file a complaint because that is ridiculous. Even any early termination fee, they're already getting prorated your premiums. But early termination fees, when you're not even going to have coverage from them, is really not acceptable behavior. From James in Indiana, Clark, we're moving to South Dakota where housing is actually two to three times more expensive. The mortgage lender has talked about a financial product I've never heard of before. It's a 30-year draw home equity line of credit with an integrated sweep checking account. Please tell me everything I need to know about it. It makes no sense to me. Should we avoid it or use it? Please help us save money and avoid a disaster. Okay, thank you. Um You're going to love South Dakota. I mean, it's beautiful. And a lot of other people have discovered that it's really beautiful. And the housing costs, as you have discovered, are shocking in parts of South Dakota, particularly the western half of the state has become a very desirable place for people to move because of all the parks and all that and the beauty. Not dissing eastern South Dakota, I'm just saying. Anyway, The product that's being pitched to you, I will diss it. 
I despise it. I hate it. It is horrible. What you do is you're in a marketplace where mortgage rates still are very, very low by historical standards, not the low they were at certain cycles during the pandemic, but rates are still extremely low. You give that up at a time of rising rates, and you go into a floating rate home equity line of credit. And there's all this um, propaganda about how this is going to make it possible for you to get out of mortgage debt in as little as seven years instead of 30 years. Like there's some kind of magic to what's going on. So let me tell you what the concept is. Concept is every paycheck you make goes into this joint account that's a debt and credit. So you have your money and then you have the money you owe. The idea is that every time you get a paycheck or any money deposited into the account, it lowers the balance on the home equity line of credit. And then as your expenses mount during a month and you pay your various bills, then the balance on the HELOC goes up. And the only way the presentations work out is if you pay the mortgage in exclusion to everything else you have in life. And then, yes, ultimately you could be out of debt potentially quicker. But life doesn't work that way. And I strongly advise against this, take out a straight, regular, 30-year fixed-rate mortgage and take advantage of, if you look back through the history of mortgages, today's three-point-something percent rates are still phenomenal, even if at some point I have to say the four-point-something percent interest rates. They're still incredible, so just keep it simple. Stay away from this goofy product. And this is from Matt in Ohio. How many credit cards is too many? I currently have and use the Costco City Visa, City Devil Cash MasterCard, Amazon Prime Visa through Chase, and a store card through Comenity. I've been making more purchases at Target lately, and I'm considering the Target Reg card for this reason. My score is currently 805 at TransUnion 781 Equifax. I pay off my cards every few days, keeping my utilization low, and the average age of my accounts is three years, six months. What do you think? So, Matt, there's not such a thing really as too many cards unless and until you're applying. We were just we just had a mortgage question before this. That's the one kind of underwriter who freaks out about the number of cards you have, even if your credit score is great. But there's nothing wrong with it. You know, a lot of these people that are credit card reviewers, they have 40 or 50 different credit cards, believe it or not. So they can... Uh, evaluate all of them and write about them and their credit scores can be absolutely great the big problem with credit cards is having too few there's lots of potential danger spots with that and so you right now have you have a major issuer visa you have a major issuer mastercard and you have the amazon visa card you're good you've got three major credit cards Nothing at all wrong with getting more. Now, the store card, you have store cards, and the scoring models are considered to be junk credit. They're not the same as having a Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover. The Target card, um, the red card, is a 
if I remember right, it's a target only spending card. They have a couple of different cards. If they have one that is a target red card that is a Visa or MasterCard, that would be a better reflection on your credit than having what's known as a monoline, where it's just for that store. Target also offers, and it's one of the exceptions to my uh, no debit card rule, Target offers a red card that is a debit card against your checking account. Uh, The idea of all of them is you get the 5% discount on pretty much everything you buy. And the credit card, does it appear to be? They don't say. I My memory is that it's just a an in-store card. I don't remember it being, there's no Visa or MasterCard logo on that. Yep. I have the debit card to save the 5% there. I think it's worth it just because of that. Don't you have one too? I do because, again, the risk with a debit card is ever present that somebody will compromise the number and the money comes right out of your checking account. But it's uh, it's only good at Target, so somebody would have to crack their system, be using it at Target. And besides, I monitor my accounts like a maniac, as you might imagine with my personality. So I'm willing to take that chance rather than having a Target monoline credit card. But having the Target red card is such a clear benefit because of the 5% discount. And you get that discount even on sale priced items, you get an additional 5% off. They do have a MasterCard, I see. So you can do a red card that is a MasterCard. It's a MasterCard and use that other stores. Okay. And that would give you one more major card. And I want to thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. I hope you heard something today that helps keep you out of trouble or helps you make a better decision in your life. And as always, if you want to stretch that wallet, you want to check out Clark.com and our bargain site, ClarkDeals.com, as we are there to serve you around the clock. And we have a variety of newsletters that are free to subscribe to. If you want to subscribe to them, when you go to Clark.com, ClarkDeals.com, you'll see how to do that, or you can just go Clark.com slash newsletters. Thank you so much for joining us.